Gentle Thief. Written and performed by Amanda Dixon. Episode 25. The final episode. In episode 24, Sophie Brownlee wakes in Cedar City. She calls Dr. Horowitz and learns more about why he is so convinced that Maddie's death was a suicide. She talks to her husband and tells him what she's learned. She tells him that Maddie had killed someone in a car accident and that someone was her stepmother. She drives to the property that Maddie owned and bumps into Junior Kemmler. We also, in episode 24, see Maddie on New Year's Eve. We see her take out the gun. And now, episode 25 of A Gentle Thief. Sophie got back to the office after 6 p.m. It was quiet, except for Steve Stevens and the two paralegals who worked with him. Their part of the office was a buzz with copy machines running at full speed and documents being walked in between offices. They didn't notice Sophie walk in, or if they noticed, they didn't take the time to acknowledge her. Rick's office was dark, and his secretary was gone. Sophie was actually disappointed. She had been having a conversation with him in her mind for the last 100 miles. She was ready to see him, to tell him, to thank him, and then to move forward with what already felt like a new life. Her new life. She walked down the hall to her office and flipped on the light and then the computer. Rosie had left her phone messages on her desk next to the phone. Her mail was displayed just to the right of them, staggered so she could see just the letterhead of each paper. Sophie had never appreciated Rosie more. She was so efficient, just masterful. She picked up the letter on the top of the stack. It was paper clipped to a pile of documents, a half an inch thick. It read, Dear Ms. Brownlee, I was referred to you by Dr. Horowitz in Phoenix. I understand that you handle cases involving the questioning of a determination of suicide by a state medical examiner. I lost my husband last year to what the state of Arizona has always called a suicide, but I know he didn't kill himself. I know it. If you would be willing to talk to me for just a few minutes, I could tell you our story, and perhaps you could do something to help us. Sophie put down the letter. Dr. Horowitz referred this woman to her, but he said Maddie's death was a suicide. He probably said this woman's husband killed himself, too. How did he think Sophie could help her? As the question was mulling around in her brain, she glanced back down at the stack of letters. The one underneath the Phoenix letter was from a Miss Brown in Seattle. Miss Brown explained that she was a high school drama teacher and that the Washington State Medical Examiner had come to speak with her students after a 16-year-old junior committed suicide. Dr. Green had talked about what families go through, mentioning Sophie's work, and this teacher had a question she wanted to ask Sophie. Miss Brown also volunteered that she'd be happy to pay Sophie's fee if she had the time to contact her either by phone or email. What an unexpected development! Sophie put down the letters, not daring to read the rest of them before she did what she had to do. But first, she hit the voicemail button and listened to her messages. 
She wanted to hear Sean's voice and hoped he'd left a message. Sophie listened to several messages from clients, one from her friend Sharla and one from her mom. She listened intently, really hearing the spirit of each caller, making a note when she needed to. She felt different than the last time she had sat in this chair. She was different. Even the way she listened to voicemail was different. This trip had changed her. Maybe Charlotte's psychic was right, she thought. Mildred had said she would go on a trip, that it would change her, that it would show her the love of her life. It had, in a roundabout way, and her love was not her job. Sophie had worked harder to earn her law degree than anything else in her life. She was near the top of her class at UNLV, on the law review, completely justified in demanding the starting salary from Day Openshaw that she had received. She was smart and determined and the hardest working associate she knew. All of these things were true. She gave up her sleep and her health and her weekends to this work, to helping people avoid doing the right thing, to helping others keep the axe from falling on their heads, sometimes to just plain helping them. It was important work, at least most of the time, but it was not religion, not hers anyway. It was work. It was after she hung up the phone with Dr. Horowitz earlier that morning that Sophie considered leaving the law firm for the first time. She was embarrassed by the thought. She had only been there for a few months. What a flake she must be to think of leaving after six months. Law school grads would kill for her job. It shocked her to consider quitting, consider leaving her dream job. But that's exactly what she was thinking of doing. The word quitting was hard to formulate in her mind, so she substituted the word cease. She would cease this obsession. She would cease this excess, this blindness, this worship of the billable hour. She would cease this desperate search for approval and accomplishment and status. She would cease and desist. Day Openshaw was not her life. She remembered the Christmas party she had attended with Sean back before her first week at the law firm. The lawyers there partying without the non-lawyers, still jockeying for position in the firm, still deriving too much of their pleasure from the labels on their clothes. Dr. Horowitz had said that some people wake up and go shopping, some wake up and call a friend, and some wake up and kill themselves. This is just the truth of it, he had said. Yes. Her truth was that she woke up when she hung up from that phone call and made a decision. She did not want to be a lawyer anymore. She knew six months on the job was not a respectable amount of time, but she no longer craved respect. She had her own. She knew if she gave it more time, she may change her mind, but she may not, and she didn't have time to waste. There would be no more squandering of her precious life. This was her decision— no more worshipping of false gods, no more idolatry dressed up like status, no more accomplishment for its own sake. There would be only honesty and forgiveness and love. She forgave herself for driving so hard these last ten years. Her best had not been good enough for her in a very long time.
Sophie wished she could have known Maddie Johnson, wished she could have sat with her, talked with her, told her that her life and her death had been a gift to Sophie. Maddie had not lived long enough to tell her father the things she no doubt longed to say, but Sophie would. She would say these things to her father and mother and all the people she loved. She would call her parents that night and tell them how grateful she was for all they had sacrificed for her. She would hold her husband's hands when she got home and look into his sweet eyes and tell him all she really wanted was to be a mother. She trusted that her decision would be okay with him. It was never his feelings about parenthood she had doubted. She had only one other thing she had to do. These words had to be said before the end of this day, before she lost her nerve or sense of direction. If he was not here to hear them in person, she would write them. Dear Rick, we can talk about this more whenever your schedule allows. I had a very productive trip to Cedar City, one that served the client and the firm. I'll have a full report for you tomorrow. I also have made a decision that I need to share with you immediately. I have decided to leave my work here, to leave the practice of law and day openshaw. I am more grateful to you than I can express. I have learned more from you in these six months than all of my formal education combined. This work is just not for me, Rick. Not for the person I want to be. Not for the woman I want to be. Please accept this email as my letter of resignation, although I will write you a more formal one if you require it. I will stay for 30 days until I can help transition any open cases to other associates. As a father, I know you'll appreciate this. Sean and I have decided to start a family as soon as possible. It's taken me many years to admit this to myself and now to you, but I have never wanted anything more. Thank you, my mentor and friend. Thank you for everything. Respectfully, Sophie Brownlee. Sophie drove in utter peace on her way home from the office. This was a feeling quite foreign to her. She felt no tugging at her heart, no desire to reach for the Tylenol in her purse, no frustration with cars changing lanes in front of her. She felt complete acceptance of her life, exactly the way it was, with all of its flaws and messes. She didn't kick herself for not working out that day or for eating a hamburger on the way home from Utah. She actually felt content, even with her figure. This was groundbreaking territory. Sophie pulled into a convenience store to fuel up before she got on the freeway. There was a small old sedan at the pump on the other side of hers. In the back seat, she noticed two kids' car seats. One had a small baby facing backwards. He was crying at full tilt, red-faced, inconsolable. Right next to him, facing forward, was a toddler who looked to be about three or four. He was utterly unfazed by his screaming brother. He looked around, fingering the little toy cars he held tightly in both fists. He caught Sophie staring at him. She smiled a big, goofy smile. He smiled back and said with pride and delight, "'New cars!' "'I see,' she answered. Just then his mother looked to see who her son was talking to. "'He's really cute,' Sophie offered. "'Want to take him home?' the mother asked, obviously frazzled. "'Yeah,' 
Sophie said, slowly and honestly. When Sophie pulled in her garage, she left her briefcase in the back seat. There was nothing inside she needed. She opened the door to the kitchen, and Sean was standing at the stove with a dish towel draped over his shoulder. He walked to her and put his strong arms around her. She melted into him. She stayed there, feeling his warmth surround her until something started bubbling over on the stove. Hold that thought, he whispered in her ear. Sophie watched her husband walk to the stove and turn the heat down, then stir, add a pinch of salt. She looked at his profile against the kitchen window. It was the shape of happiness. Epilogue He walked into Maddie's room. She hadn't answered the phone or his knock on the door. She must be out, sleeping pills. He saw her there, looking so peaceful with the blanket pulled up under her arms, holding the gun in her hands. The gun was lying on her chest. She was sleeping with it like a stuffed animal. He lifted her hands up, still holding the gun, put the barrel of the gun to her right temple, and pulled her finger on the trigger. Then Junior placed her hands back the way he had found them. 